Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I had a loss in September. I lost a valuable thing, an irreplaceable thing in one aspect of thinking. Unfortunately, I can never replace exactly that loss. I had no control over the loss, did nothing to cause it at all. Yet my family and I now experience that loss and will do so for the rest of our lives. We will have to learn to live without it. You know, I love to play tennis. I mean, play when I say play tennis. I've never achieved the level of perfection that might have allowed me to play competitively. But such as I am, I enjoy the game and it's probably the most exercise that I'm able to get each week. One of my tennis partners is the loss to which I refer. His name was Kenny Sawyer. I'm going to miss him a lot. We will not be able to play tennis anymore. I will never again enjoy his wonderful conch salad, and I will miss his performances as the bass singer in the Good News Quartet, formerly known as the Calvary Quartet. You see, my friend and tennis companion Kenny was called home to be with his Lord at the beginning of September. I do not regret that he's now able to sing with the angelic choirs as he joins them in glorious songs of praise to the Savior as they surround the throne of God. He is with the Lord whom he loved and served for many years. His joy must be incalculable and his love must be running over as he casts his crown before his Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, I will miss him greatly as I look at the empty tennis court or remember the happy times that we had around a bowl of conch salad or the Friday breakfasts at Checkers that he loved so much, or even as we talked about the way life was when we were young men and life was so different in the Bahamas. His family will surely miss him even more than I can. Jan and Kyle and Sean or Tara, all those who were close to him, as well as his many, many friends, and he had a lot of them. He touched so many people over his lifetime and that is so important, people. He knew how precious people are to the Lord. That's why he sang his bass with such conviction, and why he and Jan were so committed to the care kitchen that they founded at Calvary Bible Church, why he helped so many people, quite often quietly and without public fanfare. No one knew. He loved his family and his friends especially and would do anything he could if he knew someone needed a hand or a little help along the way. When the Lord calls me home, when it is my time to enter those famous pearly gates, I'm going to find Kenny as fast as I can so that we can worship the Lord together. And you know what? Even your humble announcer, even I, will be able to sing in perfect harmony up there in Beulah Land. Kenny and the quartet bless so many with their music, and as a tribute to my friend Kenny, I want to dedicate the rest of the introduction of this week's broadcast so we can play 
a few of my favorites, and I want you to really enjoy them with me. Just over in the glory 
hosannas to Christ the Lord and the King, just over in the glory land. Just over in the glory land, I'll join the happy angel band. Just over in the glory land, just over in the glory land, there with the mighty host I'll stand. Just over in the glory land, just over in the glory land, I'll join the happy angel band. Just over in the glory land, just over in the glory land, there with the mighty host I'll stand. Just over in the glory land, just over in the glory land. with this message for today, here is Senior Pastor Emeritus, Alan Lee. Greetings to you once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in to our broadcast. We have been looking at the mysteries of God in the Bible, 
during our previous discussions. Today we want to continue with that theme and we are going to be looking at the mystery of godliness. Paul deals with this in his epistle to 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 through 16. I encourage you, get your Bible and follow along with me as we look into this very vital passage concerning what God is doing through His Son in the world through His church today. 1 Timothy chapter 3 beginning at verse 14. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. End of quote. Now, what is the mystery of godliness mentioned in this passage? And why is it great? Let's look first of all at the question, what is the mystery of godliness? Now, the common understanding is that it is the incarnation of Christ by which godliness is restored to man. That is, it is the process of God's plan of salvation through which man is born again and then go on to Christ or God-likeness. The six events listed in the passage are seen as the outworking of this process leading to godliness. Now, while I agree with this in part, I do not believe that that does justice to the entire context of the passage in which the term is used. Nor does it, I believe, do justice to the grammatical structure of the passage. Notice that the concept is included within the context of the purpose for the book of First Timothy. This is what he says, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Paul is explaining how believers are to behave in the family of God, or we could say as members of the family of God. He is concerned with our behavior as children of God. Not only that, he is concerned that our behavior reflect the true nature of a living, active God in the world. Let me repeat that because this is so important to our study. Paul is concerned that our behavior as Christians reflect the true nature of a living, active God in the world. And he uses two concepts to describe the church's posture and presence in the world. First, he says, it is the pillar of truth. Now, in Greek, the original language of the New Testament, it is the word stylus. The church is seen as the stylus of truth, that which is strong and erect and firm. It carries the connotation of holding high or raising high the truth. That is why the church is so important here in the world. The church is to hold high the truth of God in the world if it is to behave properly and to demonstrate its divine origin in the living God. It must hold high 
the truth of God like a pillar, like a stylus. Now, the truth here refers to the objective truth of God's revelation, both to the written word and the living or incarnate word himself, Jesus Christ our Lord. The emphasis here seems to be the incarnate word. This is a part of the mystery of godliness. But the church is not only the pillar of the truth in the world, it is also the foundation of the truth. Now, this is the Greek word for pedestal, which implies firmness and something which cannot be moved. Combine, then, these two concepts of the pillar and the foundation, or the pedestal, refer to the church as being the agency through which God's truth is firmly and unshakably held high in the world. It is grounded in and upon divine truth, and this truth is also both lived out and proclaimed for all to see. And the way this is done, Paul says, is called the mystery of godliness. In other words, the mystery of godliness appears to be not simply the past incarnation of Jesus Christ into the world, although that was a magnificent event, but it's also referring to here in this context, I believe, his present incarnation in the world through his body, the church. Now, I believe that it cannot refer to Christ's incarnation alone. Why? Because his incarnation was spoken of repeatedly in the Old Testament, and therefore it cannot be described as a mystery, hidden scriptures or hidden God as the church was. For instance, in Isaiah 7.14, the prophet says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. That was the prophecy of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Micah 5.2, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. That was a prophecy of the incarnation of Christ. You see, this truth is also revealed in Isaiah chapter 9. And so Paul is explaining to Timothy and to us that the mystery of godliness in this present age is Christ manifesting or revealing himself, that is, the logos of God, the truth of God, in and through a family of believers called the church. The mystery, therefore, is the manner in which this divine revelation is manifested. It is done so by the church's living out what and who Christ is in the world. Look at some of the events mentioned here. First of all, Christ has departed out of this world. John 13.1 makes it clear. It says, quote, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them that love to the fullest extent. Jesus has left the world. But now we are in the world. John 17.11, Jesus says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, meaning people who place faith in him those who receive him as Savior, his disciples. 
I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one, even as we are one. And so why are we here? We are here, first of all, to continue the ministry that Jesus began. Listen to the Apostle Luke. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. In John seventeen eighteen, he says, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And so he left us in the world to continue the ministry he began. And our standard for our walk and ministry is Christ himself. Listen to what the Apostle John says in 1 John 2, verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. In this way, love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, because in this world, we are like him. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that magnificent? We are like him, Christ, in this world. We then, as the church, as the body of Christ, are to be like him. We are to reincarnate what he is like in this world. That's the mystery of godliness. We are to complete his work on earth. Now, from a human perspective, we are the only ones who can do this. We who have been chosen by him to become his children are the only ones who can carry out this tremendous ministry of completing the work that Christ began. His task becomes our task because we are organically united to him. The mystery of godliness in First Timothy chapter 3 then is the clearest and most detailed description of how we are to complete his work on earth. As his body, we are to be and to do right now exactly what he was and what he did while he was on earth. As a result, we too can anticipate being glorified at the completion of the task, even as he was when he had completed his task. Our life is hid with God in Christ. When he appears in glory, we too shall appear with him. That's how organically united we are with our blessed Savior. And so this intimate relationship and identification in both ministry and lifestyle with Christ is presented in this text in six parallelisms. I call it the mystery of God-fearing behavior in and by the church. The believer is so organically united to Jesus Christ, our Savior, that we are to live out his lifestyle on this earth. We are to be the incarnated Christ on this earth while we're waiting for him. Now that has to do with our behavior, our lifestyle, because that's what this text is talking about. How we are to behave in the household of God until Christ comes back. How is that? We are to be like him. To do what he did and to be what he was. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying... 
sila, think. And again I say, think on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Therefore evermore to stay, hold the fort a little longer, in your struggle over sin. The great commander's promise He will surely come again I am listening every moment For the mighty trumpet sound What a time we'll have together When the saints shall leave the ground And our toiling will be Happen in a moment.